For this episode of Love Itself, I have collaborated with Papier, which is a perfect fit because I am someone who loves stationery. I've written in diaries and journals since I can remember, and I love writing lists to keep myself organised, so I was so happy when I came across the unique and beautifully designed personalised stationery that Papier offer. They collaborate with artists and designers such as Rachel Cocker and Matilda Goad, through to brands such as Mother of Pearl and Desmond and Dempsey. Whether you want a notebook or a diary to hopefully fill with plans for 2021, Papier will have the perfect design for you. You can also embrace some good old-fashioned letter writing with sets of personalised note cards and writing paper. Discover Papier's stationery collection at papier.com and listeners can get 15% off their first order with the code Cressida. So my name's Donna Lancaster and I believe love is kindness in action. It is who and what we are in our essence. Love can heal the deepest of wounds, bring an end to both inner and outer wars and is the key ingredient for joy. Love, quite simply, is everything. Hello, I'm Cressida Bonus and welcome to a very special episode of Fear Itself. We are changing direction and talking about love itself. It seems to me that love is the opposite of fear and that it has the same power over us and our lives. Love can change what we do, how we feel and our entire outlook on life. It can motivate us to do amazing things, but it also can be paralyzing in its intensity. In these special episodes, I will be talking to my brilliant guests about what love means to them. My guest this week is Donna Lancaster. She is one of the co-founders and facilitators of The Bridge Retreat and has been working with individuals, couples and groups for almost 30 years. She's a qualified Hoffman teacher with the Hoffman Institute UK. She then went on to become their head of teaching. Donna is passionate about the subject of grief and the grieving process, which she believes offers the missing link for many in their search for wholeness. This interest stemmed from her own very personal experience of depression, which she suffered from for many years and now knows to have in fact been unprocessed grief. On the bridge, Donna uses a variety of approaches, including ancient ritual practices to support people to grieve and move on from their losses. These losses might include divorce and separation, loss of innocence, betrayals of trust, identity issues, bereavement, missed motherhood and loss of meaning and purpose. Donna says, through allowing and supporting the natural order of the grieving process to flow, people find themselves remembering who they really are and living from this true place. When there is unfinished business in our lives, it is very hard to move on and engage with life fully. Grieving allows us to cross the bridge from past hurts and sorrow into a place of lightness and truth. Donna's book called The Bridge will be out early 2022 and there are online courses you can find on the Bridge Retreat website that offers support. I have personally done one of these courses very recently and it's one of the most amazing things I've ever done. Hello Donna. Hello Christina, nice to meet you. Thank you so much for being here, it really is such an honour. Pleasure. So that quote that I just said that you put so beautifully... I feel like unfinished business is a word that's very much used in the healing space. Mm. Can you talk a bit more about what 
unfinished business means? I think it's in terms of what we, how we use it on the bridge, it's very much about recognizing that there are aspects of our life that we, for whatever reason, may not have been able to feel some sense of closure with. So as an example, it might be as a child where you weren't able to say in your family the things that you really felt. You felt that if you had said those, it might you might have got into trouble or you might have felt that you might be rejected or not welcomed. And so the, what often happens is that we go into our adult life carrying a load of unspoken words like they get stuck almost in our throat you know it feels like we're carrying so much stuck in our throat or so much hurt stuck in our heart and that's what we mean by unfinished business it's all of the kind of incomplete conversations incomplete um, connections uh, all the kind of ways that we haven't had emotional completion and is that how we can sometimes lose our voices and struggle to find our voices because we repress so much and numb it so then it comes out in either quite damaging ways or not at all which perhaps is even worse for sure um, so many especially women and my history you know um, up to the last kind of 15 years was primarily working with women and so many women talk of this you know they get a lot of sore throats they get a lot of um, ailments around the throat and it's even in the sound of their voice sometimes when I work with people I can hear that their voice it's almost like it hasn't landed their voice it's it's sort of a bit like this it's like there's something trapped inside their throat yeah. and that is usually truth I sometimes feel like that Donna mm. when I'm really mm. or if I'm really nervous or something my voice goes yeah. way higher than I think it yes. naturally is yeah which is interesting and from your own experience with depression could you talk a little bit about how you found inspiration through that to do the work that you're doing now I was diagnosed with depression in it was either my late teens or my early 20s I can't remember and I um even then back then I didn't really buy it um it just didn't feel true for me um and so it was something that I, uh, throughout my 20s and 30s, I was what you would call a functioning depressive, if you're going to go with labels. It was like I had a career, I had a family, I raised two children, you know, I was, I was doing life. And most of the time I could do it pretty well. But I always say that it felt I had inside me, like a, I describe it as it felt like a terminal sadness. And it felt like I could never quite discover how to how to heal that and so I think my um, the work that I did on myself originally was quite cognitive I did some some therapy but it, and you know and there were some tears but it was very much sitting in a chair talking to a therapist having some emotional release and it was only when I got into a place where someone said literally stand up and started to work with me through my body and which carries all of our grief of course it's all emotions are in the body that was when something started to shift in terms of my so-called depression and that's when I got really curious because once I did more of the body-based healing work surprise surprise I was no longer depressed and I've never been depressed and that was what really got me to see firstly um I don't believe, as I never did believe, that that was depression. That was unprocessed pain. 
And secondly, maybe I'm not the only one. You know, maybe mm. I'm not the only one that feels this. And and then of course, um, I was already working. You know, I was working as a social worker and doing other uh, bits and pieces, working with women in refuges and prisons and all sorts of areas. And and seeing all these women medicated for depression, and it was pain. And it was this thing. And and when you say that to people, quite often they feel quite emotional because it it's it feels true. Mm. And I'm not not for a minute am I suggesting that clinical depression doesn't exist. Of course I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there's this something else, grief, that we're not taught how to do. We don't know where to go with it. Sometimes it feels so enormous. It's passed down through the generations um, of how not to do emotion, how not to stay with pain. Um, and then it gets a, a pill thrown at it. And this yeah. is not the answer. And it's almost like the, your body told you that yes. you experiencing rather than your mind, your body just was leading that. Exactly, and the body is so wise. It's that thing of because we've we've um, you know we are educated and indoctrinated actually to to live in a way which I describe as neck up. You know, it's neck up living. Everything is focused on, a lot is focused on, you know, academic achievement at school and figuring things out and cognition, etc. And that's all really valid and important. But it means, what it means for many people is that they, they leave their bodies one way or another. And in leaving your body, you are disconnecting also energetically from your heart, i.e. your softer emotions, the, the more tender spaces inside you. And that's why so many people, um, they go through their life and they say they're, for example, living, or I would suggest existing from the neck up. Um, and they say, I feel like something's missing, and it is your heart, <laughs> you know, yeah. your access to your body and your and your heart. I watched your the documentary Loved the other day, which mm. for the listeners, it's on Amazon Prime, and it's just so unbelievably beautiful. And it's all about the work you do at the bridge. Mm. And at one point, you say that we can find the gold in our heartache, which I mm. thought was so beautiful, and. Can you just explain what you mean by this? How are we able to find that light and that gold that you talk about? It's, it's such a good question because um, it's, for many people, it's like the, the idea of it. They, it kind of rings true on a bodily level, but they, don't, they have no clue how to do it because we're not shown how to do it. And the thing with, with um, our heartaches and heartbreaks is that if we'd... What we what we mostly do is avoid them. So we, you know, especially in in Britain, it's kind of stiff upper lip and push on through and plenty more fish and all those kind of cliches and messages around, you know, how to be very British. And actually, what, you know, what that means is we don't go near our pain. We try to avoid it, and um, and we use all sorts of behaviours and substances to to avoid our pain by dulling it. Um, and then what that means is that we never get to see that if we move close enough towards the pain in that pain inside that pain is a doorway a portal and that portal you have to go through it not up over it and under it not around it but through it and when you dare to go through it which means feeling all of your feelings grief about what has happened to you whatever experience it is that you're feeling the pain about and when you go through it it's only if you go through the portal that you see that there's a gift on the other side but most people don't go near it so they're like oh nonsense you know mm. and it's like yeah I get that because we've all been it's like yeah look over here buy something 
Come over here and buy something. Come over here and drink something. Come over here and have another relationship. Oh, these shoes, you know? Mm. And it's all of these distractions so that we don't dare to be with and go close to our pain. So what, what, what happens when you go through the doorway, what you, you know, and it takes a lot of courage, it's terrifying, it's extremely painful to go through the pain, not more painful than living half a life, by the way, but it feels extremely painful to go through that portal. And when you do, there's the gift. And, and an example of that gift might be something like, so um, I worked with a woman once who had, uh, who sadly her son had taken his own life. And she said to me, when I said in the, the group session, I said something about the gift and she said, how could there possibly be a gift in my son killing himself? You know, very valid question, very tender question. And then when she, you know, that was at the beginning of the week on the bridge. And then at the end of the week, she came up to me and she said, I get it now, I, I went through the doorway and what I found was my gift, almost like the passing gift for my son, was that I reclaimed my own heart because as it broke, it also opened. That's beautiful. So, so beautiful. I mean, I, we were all in tears in, in, in the group and she said, I realised that I'd been, I, before my son killed himself, I was living neck up, as I call it. Mm. I, was, I was like a robot. It was all about money and achievement and buying the next house or car or holiday. And then my son's last departing gift to me was to break my heart into a million pieces. And within that, I came back to my tenderness. I came back to a more loving, compassionate place. How do you guide her through that process? When someone says, sit with the pain and, and go mm, through it, but how, mm. how do we do that? Mm. It's such a good question because again, it's like a color you've never seen, right? What does it mean? How long and what, what, what do I, exactly, how do I yeah. do it? Yeah. And I think it's something that's very hard. The first thing I'd say is it's something very hard to do alone. You know, to be able to say, okay, I'm going to, you know, you can pick up all the self-help books you like and I'm not um, invalidating them. They've got, for many people, a lot to offer, but it's very, very hard to do this work by yourself because, um, again, we many people, as a result of being having their heart broken again and again in their life, is that they don't feel that they have the sense of self-worth and the inner resilience to even withstand pain, emotional pain. It feels too great. It's like, it, because the more we don't process it, the bigger and bigger and bigger it gets like I say in the in the love documentary it's a queue of heartbreaks waiting so we're like oh I don't know how to do it and it's getting bigger and bigger um, so I think the first thing is to really consider to, to sometimes we need somebody to, to walk alongside us sometimes we need somebody to guide us into our bodies into our heart and I think that's a, a, a pivotal thing is to is to have the humility and the and the um, and to feel okay to be able to ask for help. Mm. And that can be through a therapist, that can be through a group experience, you know, it's whatever feels right for you. But as you know, my, my big thing is, I believe that healing, true healing needs to take place in community. It's really, that's where we're first wounded. You know, I always quote the wonderful tribal leader, Sabonfu Somme, because she says, we were wounded in community, 
and we must heal in community. Mm. And what she means by that is our family was a community, our school was a community, our maybe our place of worship was a community or whatever. All these groups, you know, were the places, they were mini communities and they were the places that we were um, wounded. So we almost have to go back to the scene of the crime, mm. except when we go back to a different kind of community, we find not judging, critical, rejecting eyes, but we find loving, benevolent eyes and heart, open hearts and open ears waiting to hear our story. Mm. And that's the other thing just to say is that, that in the grieving process, it is that getting someone to guide you and then it is also really um, speaking your sharing your story with benevolent witnesses being able to dare to with in front of one or a few people to dare to say what is true for you what happened to you basically to it's like taking out your heart and saying here is my truth this is what happened to my heart and and that is that's grief work i also feel that's perhaps where we can find connection is when we're vulnerable with each other and we share those vulnerabilities it's human and it's what we all have in our lives in in different situations different circumstances big or small but that's what will connects us i absolutely agree i mean you know yourself like people are drawn towards authenticity like moths to a flame you know that it's just when you're around somebody is fully themselves in whatever, however that manifests, is so attractive, and you want to be near that person because they're 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 dared to show up without masks. You know, it's it's a very very attractive thing in in the world, and it gives other people permission to do the same. You also have said that grief is love in whatever way, and that doesn't necessarily mean that we've lost someone, but it means that we have loved. Can you speak a bit further about that and what that means for you? It's one of those, you know, the the saying where people say uh, grief is the price we pay for love. And I always say it's not the price we pay for love. It is love. It comes with the package. It's like you you don't get, it's, it's a bit like being human. You don't get through being human without experiencing loss and grief. You just don't. You might not, you, you might not know what to do with it, but it's in you. It doesn't just miraculously evaporate. And, and all of us as part of being human experience loss. So I, what I believe in terms of uh, grief and love is they're like twins. And it's like you, when you dare to courageously love somebody, and that, let's, let's talk about a person that goes away either through bereavement or the end of a relationship. When you dare to love them and they go away for whatever reason, when you feel the grief dimension of love, you are honoring that person, that relationship. What your, what your love is showing in its form of grief is that that mattered that relationship, that loved one who passed on, you know, it's like that mattered, that person mattered. And that here is my pain, my, my heartache, here is my, my uh, sadness and my anger and even my fears about what happened um, to this person or this relationship. I'm honoring what happened, it mattered. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and it's a bit like when people say if a relationship ends and they say, oh, it wasn't meant to be and what a waste mm. of time. They broke my heart. But actually, in my opinion, I think, no, it was supposed to be because, yeah. because isn't this part of your journey and isn't this part of life? And you learn so much from that relationship. Yeah. So in my opinion, it was meant to be. 
Absolutely. And if, if you look at relationships that maybe have come to an end and you at first you might be angry or sad or, or really devastated and then afterwards when you've felt some feelings around it and you actually start to think about what happened and maybe what you've gained from it, that is pre preparation for the next relationship because maybe you'll do a little bit less of this and a little bit more of that and you'll show up a bit more in a different way. You know, it's, mm. it's I believe that each relationship sort of can prepare you for the next one and the next one. I would love to talk to you about the grief of perhaps not living the life that we expected, mm. not being able to be a mother, for example. How do people process and manage that form mm. of grief? Um, grief is a natural reaction to any kind of loss. And we, with that, uh, that grief about the, the natural reaction to any kind of loss is we have a range of feelings and the, the, the kind of the, the bulk of the feelings could come under the headings of anger, sadness and fear. When we, when we lose something, including parts of ourselves, missed opportunities, lost dreams, we have anger, sadness and fear often come up about that and that is grief. There's grief which is, a, 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 if you like, a reaction, a set of emotions and then to grieve is a skill set, is something like to, how to love that we are not really taught how to do except through Hollywood films, which is not helpful. No, <laughs> so, so, it really yeah. is not It helpful. really isn't. And I've it watched really way isn't. too many of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, so, it, yeah, it's it's the, so so that's the thing about grieving is is to recognise that it comes with a range of emotions, and then we need to develop the skills in order to allow those emotions back to the body, allow the heart to open, and for us to to feel those emotions. And so, I work. I always call rather than talking about grief in relation to bereavement, which is much which is what most people associate it with I always say it's about heartbreak and we get, our heart gets pro broken when that we had a dream that evaporated we have uh, our heart gets broken when you know we're at school and we don't get picked for the, the netball team or you know what I, what I mean it's like there's a, our, our childhood gets robbed from us because we have to be overly responsible too soon or whatever it might be and our innocence gets lost to us that comes with grief mm. and can we take this time as as an example of that because I feel especially in this time people perhaps will be feeling that how in this time do you suggest people should be managing those sorts of feelings it's about creating space to actually allow your feelings to come to the surface rather than this uh, culture of keeping busy and distracting ourselves all of the time go inside and to actually do what I call the inner work that's required to to grieve what what is happening because otherwise it leads into things like that you know that feeling of depression and hopelessness and despair that so many people feel like so with the pandemic we are on a individual level we are grieving what's lost to us and also on a global actually level so it's like a global grieving uh, process that we're going through so it's no wonder so many people's mental health has been really knocked and people have been really struggling because life as we know it is over Mm. And, and that, that to me, it can also mean, like the cycle of life, something is trying to be reborn, and it, it's up to us to determine what that is, I believe. Um, but but that, that doesn't mean we can just quickly jump onto, oh, you know, whoop, whoop, new life. It's like there's a process of actually 
wow, you know, this, I have a lot of feelings right now about what's been lost to us in terms of our freedom, for some people financial security, connection to family, uh, safety and health, etc, etc. And I think within that people are going to be having a lot of fearful thoughts. Um, And I know I did say to you, I, I would also love to talk about fear you said um which i quote uh within fear love also resides it's almost like the shadow side of love fear is what we feel when we forget we are loved which yeah. uh, is so wonderful is all i wanted to say but also <laughs> how is do you see fear within love so there's the the fear dimension that we spoke about within the grieving process because often within uh, when we grieve we are for example afraid um, that we mean we may never find again the happiness that we had before say at the end of a relationship or we may never feel safe again say in the pandemic so those fears are part of that that uh, grieving process but what I mean about love residing within fear is because fear is often Often related to the what ifs, what if this happens, what if that happens, or somebody's going to think this, or maybe, and, un- and when you go a little bit deeper below all of those fears, is the underlying uh, fear itself is, of, of course, is often death and dying, but it's also the tribal dimension of our fears is not belonging. All of people's anxieties is often driven by love me. And that's what I mean about fear sort of secretly residing in, uh, sorry, love secretly residing in fear. It's like we've forgotten that we're already loved. And so we then can go to, say, our workplace and we feel fear that p- perhaps we, we won't be welcomed in a way. It's all about belonging. It's all about tribal stuff, you know. It's, it's, that's, that's such a key part of fear. But fear often is triggered by thought. So it comes, even though you feel it in the body and the anxiety, etc but it's triggered by the thought processes whereas love is triggered and is accessed through the heart so the more we can dive into the heart the more we can and lean into that place and the faith of 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 actually love and the power Mm. of love it's it can actually lessen the the kind of fearful feelings which are all about please love me really I am someone who has a lot of fearful thoughts and Mm. doubt as I've told you before how Mm. Can we move away from these thoughts? Is it just we just see them as thoughts sort of floating past that aren't necessarily our thoughts? And do Mm. we move into places such as gratitude to kind of lean more towards the love? If you see your inner critic as a, a voice inside your head or voices inside your head, and they're trying to tell you something, you know they're trying to tell you something and it it tends to be often really negative but again this is where i believe the kind of detective work is required this is the co- cognitive piece of, of of inner work is to really figure out for example where ever have i heard variations or exact exactly the same messages that I'm telling myself where have I heard those before so for example if you have a strong inner critic that says you're not good enough where where did that come from where have I first where did I first start to believe where and when did I first start to believe that I wasn't good enough who told me that who showed me that where did I first believe I was unlovable when how and it's like a, I always call it following the trail of those thoughts because if we don't start to um, 
do our detective work around following the trail, you know, getting our magnifying glass out, mm. is that we miss, again, the gold of, in it because we focus on just the thoughts and things like watching the thoughts float by, not getting attached to those. Those are all great strategies. But what I believe is you have to go to the scene of the crime. You have to go back to the original creation of these voices, which is often internalized negative voices from the past that then take on our own voice. So if somebody said, like I had a, a critical father in my childhood and he said, you're not good enough, you should try harder, do better. And so then over time, that voice, he was long gone and that voice started taking on my got to do better you should try harder you're not good enough and it sounded like me but it was actually my swallow the swallowed voice of my father from my past what I'm getting from that is just to try and really be kinder to ourselves which I know everyone says and it's maybe quite an annoying thing to say because mm. <laughs> it's said a lot or oh, just be kind to yourself and I mm. think some people want to know well how do we do that one of the things that really helped me in my in my years of having the unprocessed grief, which was diagnosed as depression, was that I started to sort of almost befriend the, that part of me in a way where it was like a, you know, a mate that was being a bit of an idiot. And you kind of, you know, you turn to your mate and you say, you've been a bit of a twat, sorry, am I allowed to say? <laughs> you know, yeah, and, 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 and then you, you say, oh, you're being an idiot. And they're like, oh yeah, you know. And you don't take them seriously, but they're still your mate. And it's a bit like that with my, I had a very strong inner critic for a very, very long time, no surprise, critical father. And, and, um, and I, I started to kind of, I gave it a silly name. I gave it, it became like a third person, like a mate that was sometimes talking, ch chatting rubbish to me. And I would sort of hear this voice saying, oh, you're gonna screw that up as an example. And I would sort of laugh to myself and say, for example, like, oh, hello, dad, dad's in the room, you know, that kind of thing. And it was mm. like, it just didn't, I just didn't take it quite as seriously. I've heard you talk about um, boundaries. Can you explain what a boundary is and how we can have a healthy boundary with ourselves and with others? So boundaries are essentially limits. They are um, how we show ourselves and other people what's okay and not okay for us. So they really are limits, you know, and I always describe it like being a fence around our, our territory, you know, and it's got a gate and you can open the gate and you can invite somebody in and you can also walk out. You're not trapped within that space, but you have a very healthy boundary around you. And then there are extreme kind of rigid uh, boundaries which can lean into more like a barrier which is a bit like having a brick wall <laughs> and you've got a brick wall that no one can even climb over it goes right up 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 and it's right down deep you know into the trenches and it, not only can no one get in but you also can't get out and and so you you feel safe and behind that barrier but um, it's certainly not a boundary and it's certainly lonely behind there because it just keeps everyone away. That's, I often describe that as how people, when they're really in their warrior woman or, or man, is that they're in that kind of, it's more of a keep the hell away from me rather than stay over that side of the fence and I might invite you in when I open my gate. Mm. <laughs> so, so a boundary is essentially a limit and they're usually determined primarily by how we saw our parents or our significant carers demonstrate to us how um, boundaries were in, in our family basically and, and in our childhoods. So it's like how were they too rigid that, that, that can lean us towards either the kind of uh, barriered rather than the boundaried end of things and it can also if we rebel we go into 
um, you know, always pushing against authority, always trying to rebel against anybody trying to put any kind of limits on you and, and also for yourself. So people can really rebel against that rigid, bounded um, upbringing. And then the other side is the kind of laissez-faire and there's no boundaries and you're a free spirit. And actually, if you grew up with that, it's really feel, can feel really, really unsafe because children do need boundaries. They need boundaries to feel safe, just as we need boundaries to feel safe and to show other people here's my boundary don't cross it and it doesn't have to be from an aggressive place it just has to be uh, uh, from a, a very clear place and so many people because of their own background and also they have uh, you know especially with women we know this like they have the people pleasing patterns the wanting to be loved the please love me it means that we don't dare to say to somebody for example no but I'd also Donna just really I'd feel like I really want to talk about love with you mm. now because you said some such beautiful, beautiful words. You said love is kindness in action, which which I loved. Can you just talk a bit more about this? Um, and, and also when you say to truly love someone you don't know or don't like is to meet love, which I found really interesting because I think sometimes it's very difficult to be kind or to feel love towards someone you feel is not very nice or is um, blocking you somehow in in life and you don't feel like being kind or loving Mm, towards that person. mm, mm. I mean, first of all, what I would say is there's a big difference between uh, being loving and kind and being a pushover. You know, I always say to people, like with myself, is don't mistake my kindness for weakness, you know, and, and this is where tough love comes in. Sometimes we have to, if, if people behave in ways that are abhorrent to us, boundaries, coming back to boundaries, sometimes we have to <laughs> literally escort them off of our territory through the fence, through the gate, and say, no, thanks very much, that's not okay for me. And that's tough love. That's not the kind of gooey, smudgy, you know nice uh, side of love but it's it's also still love it's saying that I'm still it's not saying that you don't love the person you're saying you don't love or accept their behavior and so you know if you think like a partner or a friend or something as an example you, you you kind of say that's not okay it's a bit like the inner critic you know it's like yeah I hear what you're saying but I really don't want to listen to that crap you know mm. and it's the same with with when we when we have to put boundaries in place with people that is still love this tough love approach I what I mean by kindness in action is that love is again there's love as a as an energetic love as an energy if you like it's a it's a force of of uh, that underpins everything, as I believe. And then there's love as a skill set. There's love to love someone is to have a range of skills available to you, including um, offering them things like attention and affection and appreciations, gratitude, etc. And part of that is kindness. And so the easiest kind of love is to love someone and be kind to them because they are loving us back. That's really easy in life. It's like, you, you're good to me, I'm good to you, you know, and uh, it feels like an easy flow and we do it, you know, in, with a partner, especially at the early stages, maybe the romantic love phase, um, as it's called. It's like there's that nice give, give and receive of, of love through kind acts, through kind words, etc. But the real uh, challenge, and I believe this is the spiritual dimension of love and life, is to dare to 
love people that may behave in ways that are not uh, do not appear deserving of your love or even that they're just somebody you don't know the person in the street you know that's maybe a man or a woman that's homeless and 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 begging for for food or whatever but just to 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 love that person and through your kindness you know sometimes that kindness is a smile sometimes it's a a a few kind um words of inquiry and 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 sometimes it's something like financial support you know but it's love to me is is kindness in action because it's showing through your words and your actions that that person matters it comes back to that that you matter it's it's quite a a big ask for many people when they're still carrying a lot of their own unfinished business is Mm. to actually be able to love other people that deeply regardless of um regardless of what they've done or not done you know Mm. I always use my my father as an example my father was you know many things an alcoholic he was violent in my childhood and he behaved in ways that were really challenging to me and I did a a, you know I spent a lot of my early uh, teens and 20s really uh, suffering and making really poor choices as a result of that but I reached a place through my grief work where I can see my father uh, and first and foremost, as a, 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 a wounded child within a man who then happened to go on to be my father, rather than just my father. Do you see what I mean? I can yeah. see him first as as a kind of that that really traumatized child. He's he, he, yeah, and and so that is where I can love him regardless of what happened. I love this man. And how did you come to that realization in yourself? about 20 years of therapy. <laughs> no, it's, it was a, obviously a process, um, but it's, it's basically getting, first of all, what I believe is, first of all, I had to face, you know, the follow the trail. I had to mm-hmm. go back to the original source of the wounds that he created in my childhood. And then I had to grieve them, feel my feelings about them, share my story about them, the, what's called the grief work. And then, and this is so important, Cressida, is then I had to invite those parts of me into my heart and what I mean by that is to integrate the part of me that felt unlovable the part of me that felt abandoned the part of me that felt rejected I basically welcomed them home inside myself once I'd grieved them before I grieved them I thought they were repulsive it was like oh there's a part of me that feels weak oh you know and then after I did the grief work it was like no all these parts of me are like the pieces of the puzzle that make me me and so that wholeness came back to me when I integrated those parts into my being and then from that whole emotionally mature place I could gaze upon my father and say yeah you really suffered too it's like you get to a place when you've done your own healing where you actually can see um that that person has suffered as well because nobody would be so cruel if they hadn't suffered nobody would would make such mindless decisions um, unless they had some of their own unprocessed pain you know it's always that lovely maya angelou quote when she says when you know better you do better yes yeah, and, and also you coming from a place of understanding about why perhaps he is yes. behaving the way he's behaving so you yes. have more compassion for him. 
absolutely absolutely and it doesn't excuse it's not saying oh that was all okay you know that you behaved in ways that were really selfish and harmful and they hurt a lot of people and um and that's okay it's not saying that and that's the thing about forgiveness it's not about absolving somebody of everything but it is it is you know forgiveness is also about ourselves it's Mm -hmm. not living carrying the burden of things like resentment because it's poison to your soul you know you get to a place eventually when you just see another flawed human being just like you you know and we all make poor choices from pained pained places the anger in that which you felt with your father and Mm. i'm sure other people also feel experiencing that pain there is a well correct me if i'm wrong but there is a healthy anger in grief isn't there Absolutely. And, and, and again, the thing about the anger is another emotion that gets such a bad rap because people associate anger, as I did, uh, you know, um, as um, when it's in fact violence and destruction and abuse. That's not anger. That's not healthy expressions of anger. That is toxic anger that results in violence and wars and people get hurt and die as a result of it. That's not anger. That is, uh, that is destruction. That's violence. Um, but what we are talking about and what we work with on the bridge is a release of, of kind of historical anger from the system. And it's li- it literally, Christina, it's like you come back to life because so much suppressed anger is so deadening for the, for the system. And so when you access safely healthy release of anger, not only do you start to feel more alive and people say a lessening or a complete clearing of things like depression and anxiety, is then what also happens is you start to be able to have healthy boundaries and then that sometimes means tough love being able to express your anger but not in a place of attack just Mm. basically saying this is this is not working sunshine you know no thanks very much but it can be uh healthy expressions of anger we need healthy anger to because that is part of boundary setting donna you also say that love is the key ingredient to joy it is i always say that when you really are able to meet love, when you can love strangers, you can love somebody despite some if they've hurt you, etc. When you get to, to, to that place, what happens that bubbles up inside you is a, a, um, a lightness. And that lightness, if you, if you kind of cultivate it, becomes very joyful. And I will say that uh, joy is like an inner celebration. It's, it's so, you know, I feel so joyful and I spent so much of my life not feeling that. And so I cultivate my own joy and one of the ways I do that is kindness in action so I do it through loving people including and especially myself so I refuse to speak unkindly to myself after 20 years of an inner critic I I refuse to judge myself for what I could look like and don't look like what I could you know getting older whatever making a mistake a clumsy word here I'm not having it I'm not having it it's it's like that's like using um, language as violence against the self so so it's really the the love element of joy is the more that you go around being kind to yourself and you demonstrate love as kindness in action you just feel good you know and that joy then you cultivate it you do things that bring you alive i say if love is the party joy is the music if love is the party joy is the music yes beautiful so donna i end with three questions okay. so number one is what do you do for self-love? Hmm. 
So I think um, on a bigger level, um, to be self-loving is for me is to embrace all that we are. So I embrace that, like we've all all the things we've talked about. I embrace the fact that I have a shadow and that I'm flawed. So that's the bigger picture of self-loving. And then on a kind of more ground level, roots level, I. Uh, I offer random acts of kindness to myself, <laughs> and I and I speak lovingly to myself, and I, I I'm like my own I am like my own best friend, and I know that's a cliche, but that is really what has made such a difference to my life. So that's how I'm self loving. I'm like my best mate. Lovely. And what's the song that fills you with love? Oh yes, this is easy. Blinded by Your Grace by Stormzy. Every time, every time. And how do you show someone you love them? Mm. I show somebody I love them by my presence, by um, appreciations, by kindness, again, the same themes really, uh, by being really grateful for the small as well as the big things between us. And I really show people I love them, which is the kind of shadow piece a little bit, is by saying I'm sorry and meaning it when I make mistakes that hurt them. That's lovely. Thank you, Donna. Thank you so, so much. much for listening to Fear Itself. Honestly, and I hope it was as so interesting, interesting and, and as useful to you so as it was people. for me. So Thank I'm you so for coming glad. on. It would mean the world to me so if you could rate and subscribe and maybe even share it with a friend so that other people can hear about us. Join me next week where I will be speaking to another wonderfully inspiring guest. Until then, take care.